Let's run back the clock a few decades. The year is 1962. John F. Kennedy is our beloved president, and astronaut John Glenn became the first American to orbit the Earth. Marilyn Monroe tragically passes away, and Nelson Mandela is put in jail. The first James Bond movie came out, as well as the Beatles' first album and their first mega hit, Love Me Do. The world came to the brink of nuclear war with the Cuban Missile Crisis. But what do I think was the most important historical event of the year? In August of 1962, the comic Amazing Fantasy number 15 came out, introducing the world to the amazing Spider-Man. I'm the next-gen pastor, forgive me. Obviously, I'm being slightly facetious. And technically, there were more important moments in our world's history than Spider-Man. But no one can deny the cultural phenomenon that is this character Spider-Man and Peter Parker. There's been more than a dozen full-length movies. There's a really strange-looking ice cream treat. There's endless comics, endless costumes, way too many photos of kids in Halloween costumes. This character has left its mark on the world as a whole, and it's never going away because I could see us in the long future finding photos and old remnants of costumes. For anyone who's unfamiliar with this story, Peter Parker is your stereotypical awkward high schooler. He's shy, he's timid, he doesn't have friends, he gets bullied, and he just is all around a general quote-unquote stereotypical nerd. That is, until he gets bit by a radioactive spider. This bite gives him strength, it gives him superhuman senses, the ability to stick to surfaces, the ability to shoot webs, and overall it just kind of gives him the ability to be a hero. However, the crux of the story, what makes Peter Parker so interesting, is the dynamic of the double life. The dynamic of having Spider-Man and Peter Parker. The dynamic of, trying to, of Peter trying to keep his life as himself separate from his life as Spider-Man. I would argue that Spider-Man is popular because of this. I would argue that he's popular because of the character of Peter Parker. Spider-Man is everything that Peter P Parker is not. Peter is meek, timid, shy, clumsy, awkward, and just kind of looked down upon. Whereas Spider-Man is strong, cool, awesome, liked by most, and literally looked up on as he swings through the streets of New York. Peter makes Spider-Man relatable to us. Peter makes it possible for us to see ourselves in Spider-Man because we all have qualities that resemble Peter. We all have parts of ourselves that we wish were less Peter and more Spider-Man. We all have parts of ourselves that we wish could get bit by a spider and turned into something better. Every hero generally follows a similar format. Some crazy freak accident or something happens that gives the hero some crazy abilities or powers. Secondly, that hero then has to train and prepare to learn how to use those powers and abilities. And third, the hero has to use the powers for good. Having powers and abilities is cool and all, but what good does it do if they just sit at home and I, anyways? What good does it do if they keep it to themselves and never use it for the common good? Welcome to Lakeside Community Church. My name is Jacob. I'm the next-gen pastor here. Um, thank you for joining us this morning, both in person and via the stream. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, or if you have the Bible app, go ahead and open up to the book of Acts, chapter 11, and that's where we'll be studying this morning. The first part of um, Acts 11 is pretty much just a recap of what we've learned the last few weeks. So some of you might be already a little familiar with the story, but bear with me. 
For some context, the past few weeks, as I said, we've been studying Peter's travels, particularly in connection with a man named Cornelius. Peter was traveling along, met this guy. They took him to Cornelius. Ministry. It's great. If you missed any of those messages, you can go back on our website or on our YouTube and find those sermons saved there. We post them every Sunday, sometimes Monday, if something goes wrong with our systems. So you can go back and rewatch if you want to know where we're at. So we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 11, verse 1, as Peter is heading back to Jerusalem, which was like the home base of the early church. He's heading back to Jerusalem as he's finishing his missionary journeys. So Acts 1 begins. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. The apostles and brothers in this verse refers to the current Christ followers in Judea. These would be Jewish believers who were either witnesses to Christ himself or witnesses close thereafter. These guys heard that there were some Gentiles who had received the word of God, and they were a little upset about how it went down. Gentiles were pretty much just anyone in the world who wasn't born as a Jew. So Peter gets home to Jerusalem. He finishes his travels. He's hiking. I'm sure he's pretty tired. You know, boating, hiking, riding camels. That's probably pretty tiring stuff. He's been traveling. He's been ministering. He's been doing great things. But he's excited to be home with his friends, his family, and his fellow apostles. However, upon arrival, the circumcision party goes up to him and starts telling him off. The people that he thought would welcome him back went up to him and started telling him off. The circumcision party would be the Jewish believers, as according to Jewish traditions and laws going back into the Old Testament, every Jewish male when they were born would be circumcised pretty quickly after their birth, and that set them apart from the majority of the world at that point. So when we hear about the circumcision party, that's who it's referring to. This group of Jewish believers come up to their buddy Peter, who was one of the heads of the church, and basically said, hey, buddy, I know you've been traveling. I know you've been doing missions work. I know you've been doing ministry. I know you've been sharing the gospel with everyone you can find. But your interaction with those uncircumcised men, your interaction with those unsavory men, your interaction with those dirty men, those Gentiles, it's raised a little concern. And not only did you talk to them, but you ate with them. And not only did you eat with them, but you built a community and relationships with them. And that's just not acceptable. An interesting note to take here is that the Jewish believers' specific problem that they bring to Peter is not the baptism of the Gentile believers, but rather the table fellowship of a meal with them, rather accepting them into the fold. The emphasis on being circumcised versus uncircumcised followed by the concern about eating with Gentiles, points back to the current Jewish believers' issue with legalism. It reveals that the hearts of these Jewish believers was still focused on what we read about in the Old Testament. It was still focused on the Levitical laws of what you can eat and what you can't eat. Being circumcised, being uncircumcised. Wearing certain types of clothes, not wearing certain types of clothes. That's where their hearts were still at. Not on the grace of Christ that we read in the New Testament. They were still focused on following laws that set them apart, that made them different, both physically and in terms of diet, rather than focusing on Christ, who removed the need for these laws, who removed the gap between them, who removed the need for these laws, but rather offered his grace to everyone, Jew and Gentile alike. And truthfully, I feel like if I was in this situation, I might have been on the side of the believers, of the Jews, 
believers in Jerusalem. Imagine Pastor Brian's on vacation, which he is, but he's not in Britain, where is the story going to happen, so don't imagine he's in Britain. But imagine Pastor Brian went on a trip to Britain. He's hanging out, he's doing a good time, he's doing missions work, he's talking to the British people. But everyone knows that in Britain, they drive on the wrong side of the road. So imagine Pastor Brian's coming back, and all of a sudden we see a picture of him in America driving on the left side of the road. We might go up to him. We might go, hey, buddy, that's not right. That's dangerous. That's not safe. We here in America drive on the right side of the road, both figuratively and literally. Driving on the left side of the road is not safe. It goes against the rules we all follow, and it's just kind of not something that's smart to do. It's putting you in harm's way. And we might go to him and say these things out of deep concern and care. However, when this group of Jewish believers brought their concerns about Peter's interactions with the Gentiles to Peter, Peter began to tell them about his travels and tell them about what brought him to that place. So we read in Acts 11, picking up in verse 4, but Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, like something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. 